I'm Fletcher from amindforlanguage.com, and you're listening to Greeking Out, a podcast for ancient and Koine Greek learners full of tools, tips, and possibly tirades on learning Greek using comprehension-based methods. If that isn't familiar to you, check out episode zero, The Manifesto, for more info. Well, hi, Seamus. It's good to have you back on the podcast again after a couple of years. Thanks, to be back. Um, yeah, I think you were my first interview uh, back in 2019. I think we just figured out it was. Yes, 2019, just before, just before the world got crazy. Yes. I mean, it was already a little bit crazy, but uh, definitely got definitely got crazier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. Yeah. So I guess when we were talking then, I was I was mostly interested in picking your brain about. You know, how to learn Greek well and you know, move from beginner to intermediate and things like that. And um, One of the things that has stuck with me over the years was you saying cheat as much as you need to in terms of, you know, if you need... Do my, do my philosophy. <laughs> if you need glosses or need, you know, diglots or whatever, go for it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I guess that's, like you said, that's still still how you look at it. So yes. that's good to know. I think so. Particularly, your people need permission to cheat. But, you know, they feel like they're, they're doing something wrong that, you know, oh, I'm looking at the English, whatever. You know, it's just, you, need, you need permission to cheat. And then you need to cheat in the right way as well. That's the other thing. That's true. Um, I remember actually talking with a friend of mine who's doing a PhD in Germany, and he had to pass a Greek exam, but his background was New Testament, and he had to take an exam on Plato. And he basically said he worked through, like, the, the Lube editions, or is that how you say it? I don't think I've ever heard anyone actually pronounce it. I presume it's actually Lerb or something, but I say Lerb. Lerb, okay. Um, Well, yeah, like I said, I've never heard anyone who would actually know how it's supposed to be said, say it. So my apologies if I get it wrong. But he said working through that and like comparing the English with the more Attic uh, Greek was enough to help him kind of get from Koine to that. Particularly, I tell, I tell people to cheat, especially when they're at a, a slightly more advanced stage and trying to jump that gap. And and people often, I think, and I still have this experience too, you you, you feel like you're doing a jigsaw puzzle, you know all the pieces, you look at a sentence, you're like, I know. you figure out all the words you don't know, you might look them up and so forth, but you just don't understand how it fits together. And that's when cheating is really helpful. Because when mm. you look at a translation, you say, oh, that's what they're trying to say. And then you can go back and say, oh, and now I see how the pieces fit together. And when you do a bit of that, you you start to realize, oh, this is this is the you know the style or what's what's it's trying to do, and um, that's a good place to cheat. And, and I feel like that that makes so much sense from like a cognitive load theory perspective. Like your brain is 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 working hard to deal with all the pieces it can sort out, but there's just so much there it can't quite put the whole puzzle together. And then once you hand it the answer, it can like work back from there and see, oh, that's all this goes together, which then evolves that like model of language in your brain and then you can tackle new sentences with a new like slightly advanced model that can now handle them yeah. you know yeah and i also find it really helpful for you know, idioms or structures that yeah. are, that are not obvious and are hard to look up uh so i just remember a particular example of uh something like day oligo which is used to kind of mean a little bit short of something 
and and it's not the kind of thing unless you know what you're looking for you will not find it straightforwardly looking one one of those words up in a dictionary and reading through the whole entry um but if you see it, if you see it in translation you are oh, that's strange and you look at the greek and you're like oh this this doesn't this doesn't map with what i already know and i would not have got there without cheating uh, but now that i've cheated i can go and wait and see and see how this works next time it'll yeah. be easier yeah and i guess that's one of those yeah it's it's true and i, I imagine that like sometimes the cases might differ by author or by period you're reading into like how they how they form that so um yeah i imagine that's really helpful um so cheat 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 as much as you cheat as much as you need to but cheat in the right way that's the other thing you need to cheat in the right way because there's a way of cheating which just short circuits the whole process because you're not really engaging with the greek uh that's that in the end that in the end is not going to help but if you, if you use it in the right way, it's a great strategy. Well, and I guess in theory, you could say if you're cheating properly, then you should be less and less relying on the cheat method and getting more and more into the Greek. So exactly. Like I imagine if I picked up a, you know, a loop, loop or low of edition of, you know, Homer's Odyssey, by the time I finished book one or two, I'd probably be looking a whole lot less at the English and a lot more at the yes. you know, Greek and yeah. just referring to things as I, yeah went along i think it's particularly true you know again because greek is such a, a vast literature and so when you when you first learn greek you tend to be acclimatized to certain authors especially if you've got a new testament background mm. uh, and so it part of the challenge is just how do i how do i get uh used to a, a different author with different idioms different set of vocabulary uh and so reading through plato start by cheating but as you go on you'll, you'll get used to the greek of plato and then after a while you're like oh this feels more familiar i feel more comfortable homer again homer is not a thing that i had a lot of experience in but i was like oh, I, I better read some homer um and so when the times that i've, I've done, done work on homer uh i've cheated cheated a great deal cheated happily uh, but after a while you start to get a feel for uh you know the syntax of homer is not that difficult uh, but the vocabulary is very strange compared to other periods of Greek and other types of texts. Um, but again, it becomes familiar over time. Yeah. So and I feel like, nice. I don't know if it was a conversation with you, maybe even from that last interview or just something in Greek learner text project or something I heard you say in a video once or something, but it seems like you know, one of the problem with Homer is he's got so many words of relatively low frequency. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So you're, really it's it's vocabulary and if it's a low frequency word then is it really worth the effort to try to memorize the thing and all you know all those questions so it sounds like cheating really is a good way if you want to get work through it yeah and i guess when we say cheating that's just sort of a short way of saying find creative ways to make the text more comprehensible and get it to a level where it's manageable yes um and so i mean that's you know in one sense that's just Cheating is, is one one tool of a broader strategy of how do I make text more comprehensible? It's just that, I mean, the reason we call it cheating is because so many people come from a perspective of uh, you're not really reading or, or translating, especially translating. You're, you're not on the, from the Greek alone. And that particularly old grammar mentality of you just sit down with a dictionary and you just figure it out. Um, and then that's, what, that's why people think of it as cheating. They're like, oh, no, that's the forbidden thing to do is look at English. Um, but really, it's just one more strategy of how do I make this comprehensible? And if it was already, you know, I mean, there are other, there are other ways to do that. 
there are other tools. Uh, yeah. And, and, and I think <laughs> I was going to say, since our last conversation, I think we've seen some pretty exciting developments in some of those tools. I know, um, shoot, uh, what's his name? He joined the joined the Greek Learner Text Project and had some pretty cool uh, like color coding for different cases and things. And then I think uh, James Tauber just released something similar mm -hmm. um, that has the Iliad and a few other authors. So I'm guessing based on some of the Perseus data. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, it's 2024. <laughs> it's a long time since 2019. I, I think a lot has changed in, in, in the space of Greek resources. Uh, a lot of a lot of exciting things are happening. I think it's it's definitely grown that space of people producing tools, resources, texts, other projects. Uh, so I mean, it's still it's still a niche space. Uh, still not that yeah. many people working in it, but definitely, definitely. Well, and and it's really true. I mean, I, I think about um, you know, I guess back in I mean, just just based on the people I've interviewed and talked to, like you know, they're. You know, when they were getting into Greek, like for most people, the, the starting point was either grammar translation class, be it through you know a university or a seminary or something like that, and or Christoph Rico's Police Institute. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and now that's you know now there's you know you with a petrologist, and there's um you know there's uh, Jenny and Rogelio, um and I guess they're not Triodos Trivium anymore, but they're respective. Things and and count and, and numerous others that yes. you know, we we could mention, um, and you know it's you know Athenaze has been the or Athenaze has been the classic for somewhat comprehensible input based textbooks and now we have Logos out there which I think you did a review on did you not I did a I did a extensive review on Logos uh, yes yeah and so I mean it's the first real kind of textbook we've seen try and enter that space um, to try and do something like uh, like uh, Urberg but for Greek um, I don't think it quite gets there I don't think it's it's cool we hoped for or dreamed of but it's a it's another tool in the toolbox it's a, it's a great text uh, despite its flaws and the fact that it even exists at all is, is great um, yeah and I think you know, I mean it is it is handy to come back you know for ish like sort of, Four and a half years later, and I think what has what has changed since two thousand and nineteen when we first when we first did this interview, um, because back then I could think, you know, on, on on one hand I could count the number of people doing spoken Greek work, uh, yeah, Polish Institute. Uh, I think I had just become aware of, of Ben Kenter's work at that time. Yes, um, uh, Randall Booth had been doing stuff for for ages, um, but not much else. Uh, I think. Uh, yeah, num you know, number of people, number of places, uh, the the access to Greek courses online, particularly, um, has exploded. <laughs> and the thing is, because it started at such a small level, it could explode. It was still relatively small. <laughs> um, yes, but it, it's grown so much. I mean, I can still name most of the most of the major people doing this kind of work. Still, I still could name and have probably interacted with. Uh, but by growing more and more, yeah. Well, and I think I, I use this terminology of like the you know the comprehensible input Greek community, or however I, I say it on this podcast, because it, in, in a sense it really is a community where a lot of the mm -hmm. a lot of the people producing things know each other and have interacted. Just because, like you said, 
you know, five years ago, the pool of people was small. So as, as new people join that space, like they kind of just get connected in. Um, yeah. um, so that's, yeah, I think that's, that's interesting. Um, see us all doing things in different ways. Um, so I guess what are, what are you, what are you up to? What's changed what in your what, what's changed in your life in the past five years? I know the petrologist has grown and developed, and I've taken a yes. class or two since with you since yes. uh, 2019, and that's been a lot of fun. I think I mean it's really interesting that we did that the interview in 2019. That was a, that was the stage where I I had run some courses, and I, really that I think that year I was experimenting with running courses. Uh, what that, you know, late 2018, started to that, through 2019, I tried running group courses online, mm. uh, which was new for me then. Um, and I was much more confident speaking Latin. Uh, I could speak, I felt pretty reasonably happy speaking Greek. Um, and then 2020 happened and the pandemic happened. And uh, most of my other, most of my other paid employment dried up. Uh, and so I decided to give teaching online full time ago. Uh, and so in 2020, I decided to just run lots of courses uh, relative to, to my own capacity. Um, and that kind of took off. So I, I've been for the last for the last four years, uh, that has been my main business is just teaching Greek and Latin online. Uh, and so that's been really good for me. <laughs> The main thing I get paid for is teaching people to speak Latin and Greek. Uh, it's been incredibly helpful to develop as a teacher, but also as a speaker. Um, and it's given me a great chance to, the, I mean, the other great thing is I don't, I don't necessarily find a lot of time to sit around reading Greek for fun, uh, which is sad, but like, you know, that's life. Uh, yeah. And so I've been able to offer courses on things I want to read. I'm like, oh, does anyone want to come read this with me in Greek? And we'll talk about it in Greek. Uh, uh, which has been a great opportunity and excuse to to read all sorts of things in Greek and Latin. Um, so that's that's really been uh, yeah really what I've been doing for the last four and a half years. Um, I would like to say that I've made great great progress in producing Greek texts, uh, but that's not true. Well, I think <laughs> I that's some progress. I, I imagine that's sort of the classic. Uh, classic issue that professors run into between you know, actually teaching students or doing research or you know writing books or something like that right. like you're always balancing whether you're putting your time into people or into into things um yes and then you have the you know family and life and all the other commitments yes. that you yes. know keep us sane so yes i mean i think i mean the big project i've been working on for, for years now is is a, a an lgpsi lingua graica personal start of my own and I have made progress, um, but I think, I mean, my own vision for it is very expansive um, and no one's, <laughs> well, that's not true. It's not true that no one is funding it because now these days I have a Patreon. Some people are sending me money to, to write, which is good because um, then I feel guilty. I'm like, oh, these people are sending money. I should write. Uh, but also, I mean, the whole process of trying to write a text that is comprehensible all the way through, that is graded well, that has enough text, uh, that is interesting. Uh, all those things are challenging. Uh, yes. and just just sitting down to make time for it is challenging. Um, and so, I mean, honestly, that last year I made no 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 real progress on that. 
Um, which I'm sure some listeners will be like, really, really? Come on. Um, and my, my favorite question is always, what about illustrations? And uh, that's a whole whole different problem because then I need an illustrator and, and they need to come on board. So, and, so that's um, an interesting one now. Um, I, I forget. I forget his name actually, uh, his proper name, but his handle in Twitter or Twitter or X or whatever we wish to call it now. Um, but <laughs> the site formerly known as Twitter is that is that the yeah that, that's what that I wrote or the bad the bad place that's what I I don't I'm not on there anymore. <laughs> um, is anyway, ling, Lingua Deo Gloria has I been was, producing uh-huh. some Orberg like yes. readers for like Ruth and First John and various things for Hebrew and Greek, and I think he uses Canva. Uh-huh. which has got some AI image yeah. generation built in. So I yeah. I haven't tried it to know if that's actually useful enough to use in something like this or how the licensing would play in, but... Yes. Um, um, yeah, I have not really... To be honest, I have not really... Well, I'm aware of things like this. I just have not pushed myself. One, because just getting technical skills requires extra time, even if it's just yeah. as simple as how do I use this tool? Um, and so, you know, that... That to me has always been a back burner, and I've always been convinced. Oh, I I need the text, yeah. I need the text to work well first before I worry about illustrating it. Um, I have made some efforts to organize illustration, uh, but never to get to the point of illustrating. Um, yeah, but I've seen what he's done, uh, and it's pretty good. Uh, I really like it. Um, and I mean, other people have come out with different types of readers as well, which is really exciting. Um, yeah. So, so I was looking at your post here for 2024 and some of the things you're hoping to work on. So tell me a little bit more about the, is it the Galilean? Am I Gal- saying that right? Galileathen. Galileathen. It's too much of a mouthful. Galileathen. Probably needs, needs a different name. Um, yeah. And so really this is a text that I would, it's half written, uh, which is great. Um, but last year I read Mark, I think it was last year, Mark Jong's Greek reader, which is, um, mm. it's a Greek reader keyed to not Duff, maybe Croy, uh, which is a New Testament grammar I would never teach from, <laughs> which is true of most New Testament grammars. Um, anyway, so what did, what, what he did was essentially he wrote a bunch of comprehensible input type stories that are mapped to that, uh, New Testament Greek textbook, uh, using only vocab, I think only vocab up to that chapter, you know, for example, I know it's uh, okay. up to each chapter. Yeah. Um, relatively short readings, and they tell a story that weaves through it and weaves through. And I thought, you know what, I could do that. Uh, and I could, and particularly, I wanted to do that for Athanasde, in the sense that that's the teach, that's the text I teach from. Um, mm. But I also teach New Testament Greek students from it, uh, and they feel, particularly some of them, some of them feel like, oh, but I want to read the New Testament. I want to read New Testament Greek, and this isn't really directly getting me there. Um, and I thought, what if what if I wrote my own reader that mapped to what I was teaching, uh, but also just kind of bridge that gap towards New Testament idiom, um, mm-hmm. and and was fun. Uh, and so that's why it's called Galilea then, which is a, again a mouthful because it's you know it's the opposite of two two Athens. It's from Galilee, um, and there's a story that follows. Uh, a Galilean family. And so, I mean, it's very easy to weave in explicit text from the New Testament, Septuagint, uh, mm. as well as the story of this family and their interactions and what happens. Uh, and so, so far I've written, I've written 16 chapters. 
Uh, and each chapter has an A and a B to map out the notes they structure. And each each A and B is about 300 words, which is uh, a fair amount of text. It's about, in theory, that's what each Athanasley section is as well. Although Athanasley sections can vary quite widely in how long they are. Uh, but I've tried to um, keep it fixed. Uh, yeah, yeah. That sounds that sounds pretty cool. So I saw in your post you're hoping to try to finish that up or make some progress on that this I year and maybe so. have it I available like, for I mean, purchase. Yeah. So um, I mean, I wrote the 16 first chapters, almost all of it last year. Finished a little bit at the start of this year. I feel like I made good progress. I feel like I was in a in a headspace to write and keep writing. And so um, it's. It's less it's less difficult for me mentally to sit down and write some of that than it is to bring out all the LGPSI things and work out where I am in that and what needs to happen. Mm. Uh, so it's an easy it's a lower hanging fruit, right? Because I guess in that case, like you said, you're following an established textbook, so you have a model that's yep. relatively stable and and stuff. Yep. Whereas with LGPSI, you've got to sort of reckon with what you've already written and the vocab you've yep. used, and then what to go yep. to next. And yes chart your own course as it were yeah um like i remember someone making the point that you know orberg we're not reading his first edition you know he revised it over the course of his life so he um, did though from what i understand from people who have done some kind of digging in it it didn't change that much i mean yes it did change but like i i think i think the early working versions are probably lost to time and so what mm. we do have is a mature, stable text that in the in the latter part of working on it didn't change that much. Um, but he did, yeah, I mean, it was really his life, life's work. Uh, and so even though I think most of it had, I think there's a long period toward, you know, the latter half of his life where it didn't change that much, um, but it's still a very mature text that we have. And, and, and the thing is, I've, same with Athena, I'd say, now, over the last five years, I've taught Lingua Latina and Athanasi a lot. <laughs> still, still, as I read Lingua Latina, I, I still come across things that are not new, but I, I understand and appreciate the way he structured things uh, more and more. Mm. Just there's a, there's a level of care about that composition of that text that is hard to replicate as a writer or emulate. Well, that was... That was one of the reasons I actually got the book so many years ago, not as much the interest in Latin, but just because of how, you know, the quality of a textbook that it was. And I wanted to have the experience of like working through it to get a sense of if I ever wanted to work on something like this for Greek, what would it be like? Yeah. Um, of course, my Greek skills are not to the point to do that. So, um, I mean, there's nothing like, so I have, I have a friend, hopefully you'll read, you'll probably listen to this. Um, who has been doing some writing and sent me some things, uh, and it, which is honestly one of the lovely things I've had of the last probably last year is more people see writing writing things saying, "Shamus, what do you think of this?" Uh, and uh, th this particular person's experience is, "Oh, this is incredibly humbling to have someone look at my writing and say this, 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 this." You, you realize how mm. difficult it is to write, and then you have much more appreciation for people who do write uh, in the process of of revision and editing and checking and. All those things well and that's one of the things that uh, just all the darned accents is like my feeling of anytime i'm trying to write anything in greek it's like there's just so many you know i'm writing a a, a care you know a word that's got you know six 
six alphabetic characters, but it's like mm-hmm. 18 keystrokes to type the darn thing. So many. <laughs> and, and I even, I, I use like the standard, you know, Mac OS thing where it combines a bunch of the diacritics because it's into one keystroke, but still it's like, ugh. Um, yes. I mean, that's, it might get against the skill. Like, I mean, you get used to it, but. You get used to it. I'm, I'm pretty sure, well, I mean, I, there's no humility here, but I do type Greek quite fast. Uh, which I think my students get a chance to because I'm always typing on the yes, screen for them. I've seen you do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And again, it's just like type, you know, just like typing. Any typing you can get past at it. Um, but yes, it's, it's an extra level of it's just it's just always extra levels of complexity. Uh, yeah. So okay. Um, so I have to ask: any plans of running another Greek RPG course anytime in the near future? Because that was that was hilarious when I was explaining that to friends of mine. Like, what are you taking? It's like, well, we're playing Call of Cthulhu in ancient Greek in 2035, <laughs> Mumbai. It's like, wait, what? Uh, it was a high point. It was a high point. Um, I don't know. Uh, I think so. I uh, someone asked about again Latin RPG, and I haven't yeah. run a Latin RPG for at least a year, maybe a year and a half. Um, which I think I would like to. Um, I think one of the things is that it's in terms of the courses I run, they are the most taxing. Oh, I'm sure. Um, I mean, GMing, just game mastering, right. anything is difficult, <laughs> just, much less in right. a ancient that's language. Right. Um, and I think, no, I mean, the pool of people who want to do it is small. It's 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 there. Um, I. I'm much more, yeah. So I, I mean, I'm much more open at this stage to running a Latin one again. Uh, mm. I think I I would have to work up some enthusiasm to do it in Greek, uh, and I'm just aware. I think, I mean, particularly this year, I've pulled back in just the number of she, the sheer number of classes I run, um, and so it's always a, it's just across my my own course catalog. Trying to balance. Uh, these are the number of beginner classes I need to run because these are the number of people going through. And then how many texts can I teach? They require real work, so I need to do you know prep for each text, make sure make sure I understand what we're reading so I can help other people understand it. Um and then balancing that against really, yeah, the RPG classes are, and anything that's just kind of pure conversation. Um they require a level of energy and then just just balancing life and not collapsing at the end of a teaching day. Yes. And then finding people to actually sign up for the all these things are just in the mix. Um, but I, I think, I mean, I would, I mean, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the, the Greek RPG we ran and, and even the second half of the course where we decided to do some kind of fantasy-esque Homeric kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I feel like, uh, there's, there's certain vocab that we use frequently that is embedded in my memory now, like tower Excellent. and, you know, uh, <laughs> what, like helix, um, uh-huh. like, you know, that kind of shape and yeah. stuff. It was, a uh, it was a fun class to be sure and certainly memorable but um yeah definitely i can see how that was, it was difficult for us as players as we're trying to figure out how to describe what what we're doing and, and things but yes. then also as certainly game mastering that i'm sure was a challenge yes um, i think on a, as, a, as a language speaker when you hit a point where you're trying to explain something and you just cannot find the words is an incredibly frustrating experience hmm. um and it's difficult in that context because often the other the, your interlocutor doesn't know what you're trying to express and can't help you. Or even if they, you know, in that context, they might know what you're trying to express, but they just 
well they 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 they, all, they just also don't know um and uh i mean that's both a good and a bad experience um similarly i think one of the one of the 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 most difficult language tasks i've i've ever had uh where you are monologuing in a foreign language and you can't get help uh and so i've had that experience doing public speaking in, in foreign languages i had one mm. experience where i had where i was meant to talk on a topic uh i think it was on the phone actually uh it was a test i had to talk on a topic for like eight minutes uh with no <laughs> no interaction and it was horrendous i was like this this is a uh, this is a terrible this is a terrible assessment and a horrendous experience. Um, yes, so I mean RPGs are quite like that, but that, that experience of being on the spot trying to explain something and, and and just reaching for words to try and explain things is difficult. Whereas everything else is less stressful because usually you have materials to work with. That's why I mean that's why I still teach from textbooks because in one sense the structure of my my teaching is here is here is the raw materials here's the clay in front of you the words we've just read and so most of what i'm going to talk to you about in the class is firstly questions about the text and then questions out of the text about yourself so you already have the building blocks which is designed mm. to you know take away the, the stress um yeah one of the things i learned i learned recently um about uh learning is that sense of frustration that we have is actually a sign that your brain is some, is producing like the neurochemicals that tell it to like grow and adapt. And, mm -hmm. and I've been chewing on that as related to what we do because, you know, as language learners, because in a sense, like if we're, we're too frustrated, then we don't keep going and it's, you know, it's overwhelming and things like that. And that's a, that's a problem. But at the same time, like it, it would, my understanding is that neuroscience would suggest we want to push to that point and stay there for a reasonable period, you know, yeah. 10 minutes or so at least. Um, but, you know, how do we, how do we balance those things? Um, yeah. Anyway, I find it, I find it really interesting. Mm. Um, and I guess that's, that's kind of that general theory within comprehensible input. If you want to be 95 plus just mm -hmm. you know, outside your comfort, you know, 5% yeah. or so outside of your comfort level. So, um okay so the shoot i if i could find this word in the post so i could pronounce it correctly but the galilee galileathan yeah there uh so you worked on that and then you said you have plans also i think i read for uh lgpsi this year yeah so i mean i've set aside some of my time to get back to writing it essentially um and I think, I mean, I think I have a sense of where it's at and, and what needs to be done, at least to take it to the next stage. Uh, I did, I did run a, so I ran, I ran some LGPSI classes a couple of years back. Yeah. And once we got through what we had, what I'd written, uh, they kind of became composition classes. And so we kind of, you know, collaboratively wrote uh, with me kind of directing, uh, you know, a few more chapters because I, I think I think the I think the version out on the internet's a little bit it's a little bit out of date from what's sitting on my hard drive, um, but I I have another five six seven chapters worth of material uh, ready to, re not ready to go but ready to be worked on, uh, and so if I could bring it up to thirty chapters this year and and do some particularly I mean 
one of the desires was always to work with James Dalbar and to have this kind of data sitting behind it. And so we could yeah. map the use of vocabulary and forms and to and to deliberately grade some of some of that. Um, that's something else that needs me to kind of come back up to speed and and put put text in, in appropriate data formats and and make make Dalbar do some work. Uh, but I think if that if that could be done this year, I'd be really happy with that progress. Yeah. Well, I know I know from my interview with Colin Gorey, who's you know working with uh, Old English, that you know he and James have been doing some some stuff. So perhaps some of his uh, some of the tooling has you know evolved a bit in the last mm-hmm. four and a half years. Um, so maybe that'll be a little bit easier. Yes. Yes. Um, and I know in terms of producing like just the the Orberg style layouts, like there's a lot more options I think out there for that kind of thing now with CSS for it and uh, you know for web pages and even print um, mm. producing PDFs is a lot. I think it's a little easier than it was, yeah, four or five years ago. Yes. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, so. Thinking back over the last four and a half years, would you say there's any, like, what's been the most surprising, you know, maybe change of perspective in terms of how to approach learning Greek or teaching it that you've, I mean, you've had, um, since I didn't send you any questions ahead of time, you know, to, <laughs> to let you think about it, I'll just throw this at you. I think the honestly, the surprising thing, and maybe, I don't know if this is failing or not, is that I, I am much more... I'm much more textbook driven in teaching beginners than I probably aspired to four and a half years ago. Um, I think partly that's the online format. <laughs> I think I realized that uh, teaching pure purely through conversation was going to be difficult and maybe even insurmountable in an online classroom. Um, and so COVID forced everything online. Um, and so, in one sense, I've become very comfortable teaching from a textbook, but kind of conversationally. I think I've evolved a method that works well in my context. Um, but it's maybe less creative about other things, the kind you know, the kinds of where are your keys kind of things, or anything you would do in person. Um, I haven't taught an in-person person for I don't know, probably four and a half years. <laughs> I'm considering it this year. It depends. It depends if some locals want to get on board and uh, meet in a room see each other's face um I, the other thing is i you know personally i spent a lot of time uh i spent a lot of time learning about sla and learning both theoretical things i used to read a lot of sla theory but also that kind of that kind of level between pure pure linguistic theory and practice you know kind of applied theory um yeah and I used to read in those spaces a fair bit and waste time on Twitter arguing with people. Uh, and now I don't do that. <laughs> um, I mean, I still read a little bit in the area, but like, I feel like I answered a lot of my questions and have a fairly, you know, I've come to a more settled position about what I think is going on in language acquisition. And uh, I look forward to being around uh, those questions and finding out that I'm wrong in five years. Um, and... And I, I mean, I just, I'm not interested in those, I'm not interested in having those debates and telling people they're wrong anymore. It's probably healthy. Uh, yeah. 
I mean, I feel in one in one in one sense, being in that space and and doing that reading and having those arguments with people was helpful, and to a degree was healthy. Uh, I mean, anyone who spends time on the internet arguing, you know, there's some unhealthiness about that. Um, <laughs> but I think I've moved past that in my in my own personal life. <laughs> Well, I, I think it depends on the, you know, the, I guess, the quality and intention of your interlocutors to, you know, if they're just out to argue and say that they're right as loudly as they can, or in all caps or whatever, as we would do on Twitter, then it's kind of a pointless conversation. If it's actually to debate ideas and carry points and, sure. you know, improve, then that's that's different. But that's, I feel like that's sort of very difficult to do on, in an online space. Yes. Um, I think too. Especially in text. Whole- the whole conversation has shifted. That is, there are more people doing communicative stuff, and there are yeah. other people doing, um, don't, making those kinds of arguments. And we've seen, you know, larger organisations shift. So the fact that there are now some seminaries and colleges who have adopted that communicative approach is amazing. Uh, yeah, and you know, like so the Biblingo guys, uh, yep. they've come on the the scene. They they all have heavy linguistics backgrounds, they're all doing great work. Um, and and so I think some of the conversation has, you know, I think more and more, particularly I, the dinosaurs, <laughs> the dinosaurs of Greek teaching, I think some of them have gone, you know what, you're right. I'm too old to change, but you're right. Uh, some of them have, have come to that position. Um, I mean, yeah, so I think, you know, the whole conversation itself has shifted, at least, at least within the Greek space, and I think the New Testament Greek space, that conversation is shifted. I think within broader classics, I think there's still a bit of a split and there's just a, there's a, I think there's still a big split between the teaching of, in particular, teaching of Latin in schools and teaching and, and what goes on in universities in terms of mm. classics. I think those, those two areas are um, not talking, <laughs> I won't say not talking, but there's a, there's a, a philosophical shift uh, division. Um, well, I, I- yeah. I get the sense from observing people like uh, Carla Hurt and Andrew Morehouse that perhaps mm-hmm. at the like high school, you know, level, there's more space for communicative based methods. But like you said, at universities, it's probably depends yes. on where you go. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's actually it's interesting. I'm. It looks like I'm going to be tutoring uh, our like seventh grade kids. And one of the topics is Latin, and they're using Henley's textbooks, which uh-huh. I, I don't know if you've ever seen those. But if yeah. there is a if there is a bright center to the comprehensible input universe, it is the star that is farthest from to adapt mm-hmm. Luke's complaint. Um, mm-hmm. And they have uh, I have a couple of degrees in linguistics and syntax, and we got the syntax. And a, you know, a proper linguistics tree diagram is. A directed graph you write a label you draw a line down to the word and you mm-hmm. you know it's nice and pretty and looks like a triangle and then i look at how we diagram sentences in english and think what this is like incomprehensible and nonsense and there's why are these lines weird shapes and angles just draw straight lines and label them for pete's sake but is that and, is that because of your linguistics background i wonder <laughs> well that's because that is, i didn't i couldn't uh-huh. make heads or tails out of it when i was in you know learning english grammar in school and then i finally got to linguistics and i'm like oh this makes sense so much sense and so simple and and then i'm looking at henley's textbook and it's doing that to latin but it's actually requiring you to move where the words are in the latin sentence so they end up in an english word order so you can diagram them 
And I mean, just, that is terrible. I, I die a little bit. <laughs> I would die too. But I mean, there is a way of, so for example, when I went through and taught, uh, learned Greek through grammar. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is fairly common in seminary programs. You know, there was a, there was a way of diagramming Greek sentences that didn't involve necessarily moving words around to make them English, uh, but certainly wasn't, you know, doing a syntax diagram that linguists would not die over. Um, but it was kind of a way of, and, you know, it's a kind of a rough hand way of chunking and organizing information on a syntactic level that kind of works. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't, Henry's not doing that. <laughs> no, it was, anyway, it's it's interesting. I'm, I'm looking at, I'm trying to work through LGPSI as I'm, or, uh, you know, Lingua Latina Persil Estrada to get a better handle on the language before trying to do this. But um, that, that's been interesting too. And because I'm, I'm trying to copy it out by hand just to get the language, mm-hmm. you know, down. Yeah. And I, I remember you saying somewhere that you'd done like transcribed Athenadze and or something like yeah. that at one point. So I transcribed Athenadze on computer. Yeah. Um, I think Luke Raniari, he, he, he cut, copied, you know, Lingua Latina out by hand. Um, I mean, I don't do that much writing in my own everyday life, ever. Uh, I think I did start doing Lingua Latina. Um, but I've also, yeah, so I, I typed out all of Athanasi, partly for teaching purposes, uh, partly, well, I mean, I also, you know, I also transcribe other things, uh, but just copying them and, and in Greek. Um, I find that incredibly helpful. Uh, I feel like I probably wrote a post. This is the thing. Is at this stage of my blogging career, I probably wrote a post about it. And I, I think you did. To to fi- I probably, I'll have to search to find it, um, uh, which is great. Sometimes, really, I'm like, oh, did I write about that? Yes, I did. This is what I thought. Oh, I still agree with myself. That's good. Um, the process is, particularly the process is helpful for learning uh, long vowels, you know, especially mm-hmm. the, the alpha, epsilon, iota ones, um, where they're not marked by the, the character itself, uh, and accents. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, it was really helpful to learn to type fast, um, but also it was useful for teaching to put those texts up on screen. Um, and I, I mean, I also find it helpful, not just Athanasia, but other texts that I've transcribed out. Um, I don't think it's a, yeah, it's, it's I think it's a non-unhelpful activity. Yeah, and I guess it, it's um, it's in the language, right? I mean, we're not translating, um, yeah. and you know, it's it's forcing us to slow down and look at you know, focus on each word and the you know the bits and bats that make it up and endings changing and things like that. So I guess it's a good way to um, attend to the text itself, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. So transcription. Yeah, I think also, I mean, yeah. If you think, I mean, it's, in one sense, transcription is an ancient practice yeah. that, that we don't value very much because we don't have a use for it these days generally. You just copy and paste things or you, you know, photocopy them. Like copying text is not generally a skill we need to practice in everyday life because we have tools, mm. you know, physical and technical tools to do it for us. Um, but I mean, in one sense, it's an, yeah, you know, it's an ancient ancient practice i wanted to about annotating text um mm. i know that was a you know would have been a again would have been a practice perhaps more common in the you know middle ages or things you're writing your you know you're copying your text and writing your own notes and comments about it as you go and things like that um i, I wondered about that as a 
learning or teaching methodology? Um, I definitely think it's it's a useful. Uh, I don't know. If it's, I mean, it's not quite a methodology tool. Tool, yeah. I just, let's just practice. practice. Uh, and so often, what I'll do is, for example, so for example, I'm teaching Plato. I often teach Plato, uh, mostly because Plato, I think, is a good a good range of difficulty beyond the, the beginner stuff. That's prose. Yeah, it's got some dialogue. And that's not too difficult Greek. And it's interesting. Most of the time it's interesting. But I went after some play that was too hard and too and too boring. And uh, but you know. Um and so what I'll often do for that class or those classes is I'll read through the text, I'll cheat if I need to. Um because there are things that are not obvious to me, and I you know, I just look at them. Uh and then I'll take notes and I'll foot you know, I'll footnote my own text. Hmm. And and to the best of my ability, I will, particularly if I'm in, if you're in a good mood and on a, on a roll, I'll do my notes in Greek. Oh, yeah. I will, good point. You know, if there's a different, if there's a definition I can give in Greek, I'll try and write it in Greek. If there's a, if there's a paraphrase or something else, and so especially this is helpful teaching, right? When I come back and, and teach other people, I can explain it to them or show them some paraphrases. Oh, here's some Greek that you might know that explains what we just saw that you didn't know or I didn't expect you to know. And this is, yeah. Yeah, and that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, in terms of memory and things too, like, um, you know, it just helps it get in there because you've had to process it more deeply, so. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, also, it speeds up the process next time you read it, even if you're not teaching, if you, next time you read it, anytime you annotate a text, I mean, there are different ways for annotating, but if you're annotating a text or for, that you're studying, even if, even if it's the, you know, you begin a textbook or whatever, the next time you come to read it, because you should be rereading the text, right? The, next, the second, the third, the fourth time, the thing that's going to slow you down is, oh, I don't understand what this is. And oh, I'm frustrated because I didn't understand last time and I looked it up and I don't remember. And so if you've annotated your own text, you've added the helps that you'll need to make it more comprehensible the next time, hmm. but, but you'll do that faster. So just... Just to make this really practical for people who might want to try this themselves, like when you go to annotate something, you know, obviously if it's in a, um, you know, if it's a if it's an old PDF, I mean, that might be difficult. But how do you how do you generally do that? Are you talking like you know adding notes in a Word document or what's your what's your it, usual? Yeah, it, de- it depends what sort of format you've got the text in and what's going to work for you. So for even if you've got a physical book, as so someone asked this the other day, if you've got a physical book. And you're working through it for the first time. You've got Lingua Latina. Uh, I would, I would either write. Uh, there's not a lot of space on the page, right? So yeah, I don't. And some people hate writing books, but you know, getting a piece of of a notebook, ripping it out, and sticking it in every couple of pages with here are the words I don't know. That kind of thing works. Um, if it's a PDF, either I will have a separate document, or I will use some kind of annotation feature on PDF. That's right. Um, yeah, the sticky note thing, and yeah, the sticky note thing. Um, yeah. That's usually what I would do on a PDF. That works for me. Um, if I have if I have a text that is not that is you know OCR or something, if I've got something that I can stick in a Word file, that's better for me because then I can manipulate the text on the page. I can and generally I use footnotes. Um, that's what I find easiest to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and there's you know, like you're saying with the Plato example, like most of that's going to be in Perseus or. You know, Scafia viewer, Scafia, I yeah. say his name. Yeah. Um, you know, at this point, so getting a 
pasting uh, text you can copy and paste is pretty simple. Yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Well, Seamus, thank you for the great conversation. I think there's some really practical stuff in here. Um, again, uh, as I usually do, so where can people find you? Um, and if they want to sort of follow yes. your works or, you know, thoughts on things, um, yes. where should we, where should we look for you now that the dark place, you know, Twitter has kind of become, <laughs> become what it is. Yeah, I'm not there anymore. I am on blue sky, but I mean, I, I, I'm not, not as active in the same way. Um, really? I mean, so yeah, my blog, the pedrologist.com, that's also where my, my courses are. Um, okay. I do a little bit of stuff on YouTube when I find energy and time. Uh, again, if you look for the patrologists, can I keep all my Greek things just under the patrologists so that, you know, the one brand and one label to find stuff. Uh, yeah. And that would include your Latin courses as well, right? If someone wanted to take Latin yes. from you? Yes. Okay. Yes. Great. Well, yeah. Thank you so much. And um, thanks. thanks so much for having me. Have you on in another five years or so and see where things are. <laughs> yes, indeed. That'd be great. Thanks. Thanks, Lecha. All right. Thanks. Intro and outro music is Funky Thanksgiving by Admiral Bob, used with gratitude under a Creative Commons 3.0 attribution license. Track can be found at dig.ccmixer.org.